So this morning we are starting into a new teaching series here at Covenant that is entitled Rebuild. And the premise behind this series is very simple, but it's also incredibly important. The premise behind this series is this. This is one of the most important moments in any of our lifetimes. Right now. The time we're in right now is one of the most important moments in any of our lifetimes. And the reason I say that is because now is a moment for profound opportunity. Now that might seem strange because we're in a time that's really difficult. I mean, you think over the last 18 months, literally every part of our lives has been thrown off. Every part of what was normal pre-pandemic, every part of how we function together has been thrown into a kind of tailspin. No one has been left untouched by the last 18 months. No matter what age and stage of life you are, your family is, none of us have been left untouched by this. It's very rare in any of our lifetimes that we can make that kind of claim. Everyone's life, every sector of society has been profoundly changed and is changing. We're not out of it yet. Schools, businesses, finances, shopping, church, family traditions, travel, holidays, planning for the future, career paths. There's nothing that we can think of that has not been impacted and disoriented by the last 18 months. And now we're trying to start schools in person while a surge is going on. Studies are showing that as we look at this, we are uh, uh, more anxious, more stressed, more fearful, more concerned about the future. And yet, what I want us to hear today, what I want us to understand today, it is exactly because of that radical systemic disorientation that there is unprecedented opportunity for us. Opportunity not just to go back to the way things were. As people of faith, that should never be the goal. The goal is not going back to the glory days. The goal is always to understand that you and I are called as citizens of another kingdom. And that kingdom, which has not ever been fully realized in this earth, is always what we're hoping for, is always what we're praying for, is always what we're working for. The kingdom to become more fully lived out here on earth. And because of the disorientation of this time, we are open as a people and unsure as a people as to what tomorrow is going to look like. And so now's the time where we're not just going to be rearranging the cosmetics of things, but there's an actual openness and opportunity for something new to emerge. Not to rebuild by going backwards, but to rebuild so that something new can happen. This is a very biblical concept. This idea of rebuilding our lives, rebuilding our families, rebuilding our habits and patterns, which we have got to get into. 
rebuilding our society and the fabric of our society, but not rebuilding it by going back, by rebuilding for, and realizing something for something new to emerge. This is a very biblical concept. And so we are going to be guided in this series by a book of the Bible from the Old Testament that I have never taught on in my life at any like level. I've never preached on it. I've never led a Bible study on it. I've never led a group discussion on it. I've never written a devotion on it. But this book is going to be the book that guides us, and it is the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Now, the reason I have never talked about it before is because in my head, I was like, the American experience in the American church cannot understand what the book of Nehemiah is really like. Because the book of Nehemiah is talking about how we rebuild when every fabric of society and of our families and of our faith and of our traditions has been turned upside down. And until 18 months ago, I was like, we can't fathom what that's like. We have no idea what that kind of disorientation is like, but we do now. <laughs> we do now. And the book of Nehemiah wasn't talking about 18 months of life being thrown off, as difficult as that has been and is for us. But they had 150 years of systemic disorientation. Let me explain to you where the context of this book is, because it's really important for how it applies to our world today. Scholars believe that the book of Nehemiah was written in the year around the time 445 BC. So 445 years before the birth of Christ, or about 2,500 years ago. But in 150 years before that, in the year 587 BC, the, kingdom, uh, the kingdoms of Israel and, Jeru and Judah and the city of Jerusalem had been conquered. They had been conquered by a, a force, uh, an empire that had grown to the east of Jerusalem, the Babylonian Empire. And under the King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire grew in power and it grew in might and it conquered different areas until it started conquering Israel. And eventually the armies of King Nebuchadnezzar in 587 surrounded the defensive walls of the city of Jerusalem and they laid siege to that city. After time, when the people inside were weakened, the walls were able to be destroyed by the Babylonian army and the Babylonians went in and in a very bloody way uh, eliminated the opposition of those who were against them. And they conquered the city of Jerusalem. But not only did they conquer the city of Jerusalem, but listen to what they did. They grounded up all of the citizens of Jerusalem and divided them into two categories. In the first category, they put all of the leadership in any kind of role that had been leading the city or the people. So leaders in agriculture and farming, leaders in military, leaders in thinking, leaders in philosophy, leaders in, uh, in economics. They took all of the leaders like, have you helped shape and form this? Yes, you have. Okay, you're over here in this group, and everybody else is in this group over here. Then they took the leadership and said, you need to get your families together and get what possessions you can carry because the army is going to take you and escort you back to Babylon because you're not going to live in Jerusalem anymore and you're not going to be serving the people of Israel or Judah anymore. Your gifts are now going to be served for the flourishing of the Babylonian empire. We're going to use your gifts and your children's gifts and your grandchildren's gifts to serve this empire. And for those of you who are left in a city that of rubble and a population that's been decimated and uh, a, a, without a defensive wall to protect you, without leadership that you've looked to, good luck. And they left. Now, 
What's amazing is if you look over those 150 years, there's at least two different moments where the people left in Jerusalem actually started rebuilding their city. They started rebuilding and new leaders started emerging. And when the Babylonians saw that over 150 years, at least two other times, they sent an army back to Jerusalem. It's like, man, you guys are doing great. New leadership has emerged. Congratulations. We're now taking you and your families, and you're coming back to Babylon. And they would just decimate every part of Jerusalem and of the society for 150 years. Architecturally, defenseless, in society, in their faith, everything turned upside down. And after 150 years, a figure emerges. The figure's name is Nehemiah. And what we believe about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah was one of the children or great-grandchildren or great-grandchildren of the leaders that had been taken into exile. Nehemiah is of Jewish heritage, but as far as we know, he had never been to Jerusalem. He had been born and raised in Babylon. But while he is there, a call comes to him. The call to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and ultimately to be a part of the rebuilding of society there. And these are the words that are going to guide us in our journey. It was because of the profound disorientation that they had experienced that a reorientation was possible. And that is what you and I are going to be hoping for. In our own moment, in our own time, this is such a critical and important moment for each and every one of us that we seek not just to get out of these times by going backwards, but by pointing forwards in the belief that God can use us to shape something that has never yet been. And to give you a little preview, it can happen. The cynic's voice in us might say that that's not possible, that going back would be good enough. But the scriptures tell us of a more magnificent story. What I want us to do before we read the text for today is I want to like peek ahead at how the book of Nehemiah works. I want to give us a little preview at the end of this introduction. It's like when you read a book, if any of you who do that, you read the last chapter first, which you shouldn't do. God doesn't want you doing that, but we're going to do it now. I fundamentally disagree with that. Let the story emerge. Let the story emerge. But now we're going to just do this real quick. Nehemiah goes back and rebuilds the wall. But what I want you to hear is it's not the same wall that was there before. Parts of it are the same, but parts of it are designed differently. Parts of it are expanded. Parts of it are modernized. Parts of it are strengthened. And that new wall lasted much longer than the old wall did. In fact, there's parts of that wall that are still standing 2,500 years later in Jerusalem today. We can rebuild and see something gloriously new emerge. And now is the moment to step into the opportunity or it will slip through our fingers and we'll have missed it and only realize it when it's too late. I'm excited about the journey ahead over these coming weeks and to see what God's gonna do. All right, that's enough of that, let's jump in. The scripture passage that's gonna guide us are actually the first four verses of chapter one of Nehemiah. And I invite you to listen to God's word to us today. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, 
In the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, one of my brothers, Hanani, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews that survived, those who had escaped the captivity, and about Jerusalem. They replied, the survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we walk in here, we would hear your gospel, your good news, your call, your purpose upon our lives. And you would send us from this place different from the way we walked in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I I realize that when we talk about the idea of rebuilding, there might be some of us who are going, this sounds like a great concept, but it is too soon. I just need some stability right now. I just need uh, to, to, to get through the next few days. I am tired. I am stressed. I don't know how this goes. There are some of you who, like uh, Beth and myself, our children this week are starting back at school, their first time in-person learning in 18 months. We're just trying to get to next weekend, right? Like, we're just trying to get through the first couple of months uh, and figure out how to do this in the time of a pandemic again and how we can try to do this safely. The last thing that we might feel like we need right now is a pastor giving us more to-do lists. Here's the things you need to do now. Here's the responsibilities that you've been given. Let me take your stressed out life and add to that by giving you more and more responsibilities. Some of you might be going, let's just stabilize first before we start the process of rebuilding. And I get that. I feel that myself. But what I want us to know is that the first few weeks of this series are not going to be giving you any to-do lists in terms of responsibilities and even necessarily actions. But the first few weeks of this series are about us paying attention and learning to listen for how God's call on us comes. There might be a number of you right now going like, I know how things need to be rebuilt. I got all kinds of opinions about how things need to be rebuilt and what's wrong with our society right now. But if we rebuild this under our own opinions and under our own strength and in our own desires, we're not going to build back anything better than before. Rather, what we need to do and what we see here in the opening verses of Nehemiah is listening for the Lord's call for things. Listening for the Lord's call on you. Listening for the Lord's call upon your family. Listening for the Lord's call upon our city. Looking for the Lord's call upon our state and our nation and our world. We need to start, as Nehemiah does, by seeing the overwhelming need in our own lives and in the world around us and saying, God, what, what, what do you want to do about this? What it says here that Nehemiah does is Nehemiah spends time just naming the pain that he feels. He doesn't just sit there and go, I'm just going to ignore the news because I just, it's just overwhelming. I can't take it. I'm just going to go binge out on Netflix for a day because it just allows me to escape for a little while. But what Nehemiah does is he spends time in fasting and in praying and in mourning before God, sitting there and holding out to God going, Lord, it's not supposed to look this way. I thought it would be different than this. And to hold that places of pain out before God and just to name them. Anybody frustrated about the state of things right now? Anybody frustrated about the status quo? 
Anybody frustrated? Not before we even look at the world around us. Anybody frustrated about what COVID, because COVID has revealed the underlying conditions. That's the term we keep hearing about a lot that we have to understand with COVID. It has revealed a lot of underlying conditions about our hearts and our patterns and our behaviors and our lives and our family dynamics and our uh, relationships as we've all been together and yet strangely isolated from other people. Anybody feel dissatisfied by some of what's been revealed in this time? Anybody dissatisfied about what's seemingly taking place in the world around us? What Nehemiah begins with is holding that pain out in front of God and saying, this isn't how it's supposed to look like. And that's what I'm going to invite us to start with this week. The process of rebuilding doesn't start when we're at a point of stability and then are ready for the plan. The process of rebuilding comes to us and begins in naming the hurt and the mourning and the pain while we're in the time of disorientation right now. That's where the process begins. Here at Covenant, we talk about that through the process of what we say is solitude. Uh, if you're interested in our, our new members class, if you're newer here and there's information about that uh, to learn about the values, we are going to be teaching about uh, our vision statement, for example. We encourage one another to follow, uh, to follow Jesus where we live, work, and play. I almost didn't say it then. Like the whole point of the thing is to be memorable. I've been saying it for years. I almost tripped up on that one. Uh, but that's what it is. It's printed down. It's in the website. Uh, everywhere else, right? And then people are like, well, how do you live that out? What does it mean to be that kind of community? Well, we don't give values or words or things to espouse to. We give behaviors. What we think we're formed by habits and patterns. That's been some of what's so hard about this time are the habits and patterns we have have been dis disoriented. But we say that there are three biblical patterns and behaviors that every one of us needs to be following. The first is the habit and the behavior of solitude, knowing what it means to be still as we confessed this morning. What does it mean to be still and know God, to be in a spiritual, vibrant relationship with the Lord? Number two is the habit uh, of community, of life-giving community, doing life together in a community, not just part of a crowd. And the third is that we are called to be in acts of service, uh, serving something bigger than the self-isolated bubble of our own self-interest but being a part of the bigger thing that God is doing in the world. Solitude, community, and service. These are biblical patterns. Three legs of a three-legged stool. All of us need each one of them for the stool to be stable. That's how we're formed. And so what we're doing is saying that we want us to have a particular way of pursuing solitude this week, of being in solitude, being with God, and holding out before God our burdens. Now, I wanna say something about this that's really important. When I say holding out our, 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 our mourning and our pain and our places of disorientation to God, that is not an invitation this week to be grumpy. <laughs> that is not an invitation was like, oh, I just can complain all week. That's what Thomas said we could do. No, I, I'm not asking for that. And, I, and I, what I'm not saying is what also takes place in our culture right now, that we are a culture of critics. Because we talk about what's wrong with the world, but then we grumble because we get our news off the internet from the news source that verifies what we already think about life. And then we post things on social media that blame everyone else for what's wrong. Well, if the government was doing this, or if the church was doing this, or if society was doing this, or if elected officials were doing this, or if our teachers were doing then everything would be better. The blame's never coming this way. It's always, I can tell you what's wrong with you all out there. We lob hand grenades for each other, and then we wonder why no one listens to us. 
None of that is what I'm asking you to do. None of that, all that does is tear down. It doesn't build anything up. What I am asking you to do is as a spiritual practice of solitude, just naming the pain before God. That's where Nehemiah begins. Lord, I see the destruction of your people, of your holy city, and to just hold the pain before God. Andy Stanley is a pastor in Atlanta, and he talks about what takes place if you and I do the spiritual work of just holding out pain before God when we look at the world around us or look at our own lives and see what's not quite right. He says that what will happen if we stay in that place is that we will be given a burden. A burden. And it's not that we're going to fix every problem in the world, but as we look at the myriad of things that are wrong, there is going to be certain things that stick in our minds and stick in our hearts. Certain things that it's not that these problems are bigger than other problems necessarily, but they're not the burden that's given to us. If we just hold out places of pain before God, he says that you are going to be given a burden and that that is the origin of having a vision and a plan for what comes next. That is the origin here of rebuilding, is taking the time of discord and seeing what burden God places on you. That's what I'm wondering if we could do this week. To sit in solitude, to name our pain, and to see what burden God might give us. God didn't tell Nehemiah, here's your plan to go rebuild Jerusalem. God gave Nehemiah, we're going to see a burden to rebuild a wall. And that was the catalyst for transformation of a people. This week, what burdens, if we listen, might God uniquely place in our minds and hearts that might be the origins of something new emerging? This is how people change. This is how we rebuild in new ways. This is how God's people and God has worked throughout history for things to improve and to develop and to change. There's so many examples of this, but one is of an individual that we're going to bring her picture up right now. Uh, some of you may not know this face, uh, but this is a name that some of you may be aware of. The name is Corey Tinboom. As she stays up here on the screen, uh, if you don't know Corey Tinboom, I can't go through her whole story right now. It is an amazing story that you uh, should learn about. But what I specifically want you to know is that Corey Tinboom and her sister Betsy were raised in Amsterdam by a father who owned a jewelry and watchmaking shop. And as they got older, they became uh, individuals that worked with their dad in this watchmaking shop. And when Adolf Hitler took over power in Germany, the people he was worried about were not watchmakers in Amsterdam, but he should have been. As the Nazis began to expand in power, taking over Poland, taking over Belgium, and eventually taking over the Netherlands and Amsterdam, Corey Tinboom and the Tinboom family, along with all of Amsterdam, became an occupied people, much like we read with King Nebuchadnezzar and, and Nehemiah. The Gestapo was in charge of Amsterdam. The Gestapo's headquarters was half a block from the Tinboom watchmaking shop. They lived under an oppressive regime. They lived with food shortages where they were constantly having to scrounge for food. There was violence. There were new laws that were changing all the time. But in the midst of all that was taking place and all that was difficult, Corey Tinboom writes that the thing that she couldn't shake that was so hard in the midst of everything else was, was hard was the disappearance of her Jewish neighbors over time. There were rumors about what was taking place to them. There was rumors about where they were taking and where they were being taken and led. 
And Corey Ten Boom said, with the food shortages, with the violence, with the laws, with everything, with the war going on, this was the thing, this was the burden that she just couldn't shake in her mind. And she had no idea what to do about it. She had no training. She had no uh, training in what to do. She had no leadership in terms of like, things to mount a political resistance. She had nothing except a burden. And then one day a knock came, half a block from the Gestapo headquarters, on their shopkeeping, on their watchmaking door. And a Jewish family with few possessions that they could carry coming in who had known the tin booms in Amsterdam saying that the Gestapo was coming for them and could they stay with the tin booms and find safety? With no plan and no preparation, with no food, they allowed this family to stay with them for weeks until they could secure passage for them out of Nazi-occupied Europe. And as soon as they left, another family knocked on their door and came in. And over the course of the war, until they were arrested by the Gestapo, less than a year before the war ended, in the years of the war, the Tin Boom family was responsible for saving over 800 men, women, and children. And they never had a plan. They were given a burden. And a society began to be built that was more just than the one that had been there before. Nehemiah changes the trajectory of an entire people, one individual who's beginning with a burden. The Tin Boom family, one family in Amsterdam, changes the lives of tens of thousands of future generations and all of us because they were given a burden and they had no idea how to plan in the middle of the discord of life, but they were given a burden and that blossomed into something more. And now is the moment where the baton is passed to us where the discord of our lives and of society is all around us and there are moments where it feels like it is all going to fall apart. But now is the moment where something beautiful can emerge that has not been there before. And now is the moment for us to step forward not with a plan, not with a strategic uh, sense of where things are going to go, not under our own abilities, but where we need to start like Nehemiah is by asking God in the midst of the, pan, of the pain for a burden. And I believe that if one person like Nehemiah can rebuild a city, imagine what will happen if the thousands of lives in the covenant orbit are all given a burden. Everyone's burdened a little different from everyone else's. Imagine what might happen in the weeks and the months ahead. Imagine what might emerge in our own lives, in our own families, in our world. This week, don't ask for a plan. But hold it out before God and see what God might place on your heart. And I look forward to seeing what the Lord has in store for us in the weeks to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, lead us, guide us. May your rebuild start in the midst of our disorientation right now, and may you reorient us as your kingdom people. Speak to us this week, we pray. Our hope and our prayer is in Jesus' name. Amen.